Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. How many of you here have been on a roller coaster before? How many of you here like riding roller coasters? Those are like different hands. Like some people didn't put their hand on the, how can you run those hands a second time? Yeah, you guys are confusing me already. There are less hands, that was for sure. But here's an interesting observation. People who like riding roller coasters are usually loud, but y'all were like, I like riding roller coasters. Like, do you like, if you like riding roller coasters, make some noise. All right, all right. I remember, I grew up in Michigan. We were close to the, the roller coaster capital of the world, Cedar Point which is in Sandusky, Ohio. Yeah, we get a couple, or a couple people at least like it. I saw arms go up in the back. Yeah, but you're going to be more excited about Jesus, right? Like putting your arms up for roller coasters. All right, here we go. Uh, and I, but what happened in my life was, like I was a youth pastor. I took kids to go ride roller coasters. I enjoyed riding roller coasters, but something changed. I don't know what it was. Remember, my wife and I, when we were in seminary, we moved to uh, Arlington, Texas. We were close to Six Flags over Texas. Now, if you've been to Texas, everything's bigger in Texas, Okay. No Texans in here. All right. Yeehaw. Anyway, everybody, everything's bigger in Texas. We went to this Six Flags Over Texas. We didn't have any kids. I didn't have any youth group with me. It was just my wife and I, another young couple. And when we rode the first ride, when I got done, to put it into like a Raleigh-Durham context, it'd be the equivalent of sitting on a lawn chair on 540 and just letting yourself get bounced around between traffic. Like it felt terrible. Like I hated everything about how my body felt. And then we went and got in line. Now, if you've never been to Texas, it's like a thousand degrees every day there. And we went and got in line and waited in line for 60 minutes for the next one. And I thought, I paid money for this. Like I feel like I'm being tortured. Like I don't want to ride roller coasters. And so for several years, my wife and I didn't ride any roller coasters. Well, we got these four kids. And we have, we've kind of come to this conclusion that we don't think as a culture we're real good at doing ceremonies. And we wanted to, to celebrate some of the rites of passage in their lives. And we decided with our daughters we'd take them on special trips every once in a while. And about a year ago, our oldest daughter became a teenager. And so that's kind of a rite of passage. And we decided we were going to take her on an overnight trip to celebrate that. And on the trip we wanted to talk about overcoming fear. And we wanted to talk about trying new things. And so we went to Carowinds in Charlotte, those of you who know where that's at. It's kind of at the border of North Carolina and South Carolina. We'll just call it Charlotte, North Carolina. North Carolina is better than South Carolina. I'm sorry. Thank you for being here if you're from somewhere else, uh, but we're glad. And so we went down there to Charlotte, North Carolina. We're in Carowinds. We didn't know much about roller coasters going into it. We didn't like do a bunch of research, have a plan. And it was just my wife, myself, our, our 13-year-old daughter, Ella. And we probably should have started with like a kiddie ride and eased our way up like a slow roller coaster or something. But we just went. First roller coaster we saw, didn't have a very long line. It's called Nighthawk. Have you ever ridden Nighthawk? Okay, somebody wrote Nighthawk. They were laughing at me already. All right? And so we got in line. But everybody was pumped. Like, we were stoked. It was like, we're going to ride every ride. This is going to be amazing. And then we saw Nighthawk. And what happens is they lay you down. Like, and then everybody's laying down. Like, we're not laying down in a roller coaster. It's not a normal roller coaster. They're trying to simulate that you're flying. And they don't just lay you down, they twist you around so that the track's actually behind you, like you're soaring through the air. And so we're a little less excited by the time we actually get up to the thing. And we get in, we get in, we're standing up, and then it lays you down, and it's kind of relaxing for like a second. And they start taking you up this hill, click, click, click. And you're like, how many clicks? Like, this thing's way too high. And we get about 100 feet in the air, and then it moves really quick, and then it turns you around. And then it shoots you towards the ground, and it takes you around a loop, and then it goes around some water. 
Next thing you know, you're laying down again. But it doesn't feel the same as it did at the beginning. It's an exciting ride. Scary ride. And then we got off, and do you know what we did next? And we did not throw up, no. We didn't go home. Somebody said go home. We didn't do that. Thank you so much for that. We went and we got in line for the next one. But I want to share something with you. Not everybody was as enthusiastic as they were the first time. We weren't quite, there are some people, and there's only three of us, but some of them will remain nameless, not myself. Some of them um, weren't sure they wanted to stay and weren't sure they were going to go with the rest of it. And standing in the heat, and there were like all these reasons. And then I started thinking about how much that's like the Christian life. You, you place your faith in Jesus. It's a wild ride. Like you don't know what to expect. And it's exciting. And there's ups and there's downs. But then it's oftentimes followed with long seasons of waiting. And oftentimes, if we're honest, many of us lose our enthusiasm. And sometimes there's difficulty and tragedies and there's these dry seasons we go through. And if we're really honest, some of us wonder if it's really worth it. And that's why we're doing this series, Revival. We started last week and we're talking about what is revival. And revival is what we need if you're in those seasons. Or maybe your enthusiasm's faded, or maybe you're thinking about walking away, or, or maybe you just got into the motions of going through the motions of religion and not relationship with Christ. Here's what revival is. We said last week, it's not an evangelistic campaign. It's not a, a way to get your non-believing friends to place their faith in Jesus. That's not wrong. That's just not what revival is. You can't revive what has never been alive. Revival is in the life of the believers. It's an awakening spiritually. It's a, a new reality of the realness of God, that God's not a concept to be believed in or talked about. He's real, and He really loves you, and He really wants you to follow Him, and He wants a real relationship with you, and the reality of His presence becomes more tangible in a revival. And we talk about there's no formula for it, but there's things that we see evident when there is a revival. Some scholars say, that, that every revival is a repeat of Pentecost, which is Acts chapter 2. And so we started last week as we were talking about it was our Vision Sunday, talking about what church could be, what church should be. We started looking at what is a revived church, which is really a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit that God's moving and working in. And we saw in Acts chapter 2, four marks, but we only got to talk about one. So today we're going to talk about the second one. And if you've got your Bible, we're going to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. The first mark was being hungry for God's words. Anybody here hungry for God's word today? All right, 30% of you are. This is going to be awesome. And then we're going to look at the second one today in Acts chapter 2. If you weren't with us last week, what's going on in Acts chapter 2, it's really interesting. Acts comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which is the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And the summary of that is that Jesus, fully God, came to earth, put on skin, became fully man, lived a sinless life, performed a bunch of miracles, did a lot of teaching, and at the end of it, though, they killed him. Which if you're just reading that and you've never heard that story before, wouldn't you think to yourself, that's kind of wild. This guy's healing disease. You don't have any doctor as good as this guy. He's feeding hungry people. Who, who's doing that? Who's doing this humanitarian work? Feeding thousands of people that come and he's, the guy can walk on water and you killed him? You killed him because he threatened their lives and they liked their comfortable lives. People love sin more than they love God. And the very people who did it were the ones that claimed to love God the most. Isn't it a dangerous place to live in when we can use God to run from God? And they nailed him to a cross, but he never sinned. He was dying for your sins and my sins. He was taking on the wrath of his father, the penalty of sin, for your sake and for my sake. And he died, he was buried, he was dead for three days. And three days later, he rose. Yeah, if you can get excited about roller coasters, I hope you get excited about that. 
Go ahead, Chris, you can keep clapping. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The fact that Jesus rose means he's got victory over death and can give you life. That means he's able to revive anybody. He can breathe life into dust. He can make the dead bones in Ezekiel rise. He can make Lazarus come out of the tomb. Then he can do whatever he wants in any kind of church he wants to. He can bring revival. And what happens in Acts is that Jesus has appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses after his resurrection. He's appearing his last appearance. He's on the Mount of Olives. They're overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he says to some of his followers, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. Everyone hasn't experienced this. Everyone didn't see me die. Everyone didn't see me rise from the dead. Everyone hasn't heard about this news and what it means. And so you're going to go tell them in Jerusalem, which they could see, in Judea, which was beyond the horizon, which all over the world to the uttermost, even Samaria, places where people, there's racial division and hatred. You're going to tell everybody about this. But wait. <laughs> there's a command none of us want. I joked to you last week. I said, I hate to wait. And I said something about Amazon Prime. I said, it takes a whole day. And several of you came up to me after the service. Like, we're out in the quad out there. We're like, Amazon, you got to have Prime now. Like, you need a Prime now. Like, everybody's like spreading the gospel of Prime now to me. All right, last week. Let me just tell you, Prime now means you get it in like an hour or two hours. You just proved my point. <laughs> We hate to wait. Why did they have to wait? They had to wait because what Jesus told them to do, they don't actually have the power to do. You ever tried to obey a command of God in your flesh? Trying to do it by your own power? That'll wear you out. You can't do that. That's why he says, come to me. My yoke is easy. Well, these commandments aren't easy because I do the work by the power of my spirit. Stop quenching my spirit. And so he says, wait, because I'm going to send my spirit. My Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And then 120 of them start preaching the gospel in languages they've never learned. And then the people who hear it are going, are these people drunk? Now listen, I've seen a lot of infomercials in my day. I hooked on phonics, like ways to learn languages. No one's ever been like, buy a bunch of Jack Daniels and you can speak Spanish. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense, right? Like, so it makes, it's encouraging to me that there's always been like, no one cares about logic, all right? We just say stuff. And so that, that happens in our world today. And, and they were saying, he's, they're drunk. That's why they can speak languages they don't know. And, and then Peter gets up and he goes, that's not what's happening. Listen, Joel, it's in the prophet Joel. Let me tell you what's happening. This is God's word. And he starts preaching God's word to them. He's telling them what's happening. He's telling them that how this happened, that they were going to crucify their Messiah. He opens up to a psalm. This is all in, in, in Acts chapter 2. And then he says to them in another psalm that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. When they realize that everything that's happening is stuff that's, been pre that's already been said, predicted, prophesied in God's word, then they're cut to the heart. And the word for cut to the heart literally means that God delivered a violent blow to their hearts. We're going to talk a little bit more next week about how revival always comes with a deep conviction of our sin. That's what's happened. They said, what do we do? And Peter says, and he uses preacher language, he says, repent. But that means turn. You're going away from God. You're using God to do it, but you're going away from him. Turn back to him. And they do. Out of tens of thousands of people that day, 3,000 of them turn back to God. And that starts the church. It's a great moment, but it turns into a movement. How does that happen? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and they devoted themselves. And then we see the four marks of a revived church. We looked at the first one last week. We called the hunger of God's word. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then here's the next one we'll talk about today, the fellowship. And here's a preview for what's coming, the breaking of bread and the prayers. The definite article there on, on each of these things. And awe came on every soul, upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. What does that mean? Verse 45 unpacks it. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, 
praising God, another sign of revival, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, not they, the Lord, not that evangelism was wrong, it was natural that it would happen, but it was an overflow, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so here, if you go back up to verse 42, you see these four marks of the revived church. And the first one was the hunger for God's Word. And the next one we see is the one we see today. It's called the fellowship, or the way that we'll say it as we talk about these marks. It kind of unpacks it a little bit. Is they were people with a distinct fellowship. People with distinct fellowship. Did you notice it wasn't just fellowship? It's the fellowship there. Because we, we all know that we need relationships, Right? Anybody here think that you got this all by yourself? Anybody think you can do this? Every once in a while there's people that are like, just me and God and we're good. Here's what I challenge you to do. Go back and just read Genesis 1. In Genesis chapter 1, there's this theme that happens. Have you, have you noticed the theme? God created, in the beginning was God and God created, creates and then it's, he creates and it's good. That's how it works. And so somebody knows this. Read Genesis 1 later. All of y'all. It's a homework assignment. Here's how it works. God created the first day. He created, and it was good. Second day, he created different stuff, and it was good. Third day, created different stuff, and it was good. And it keeps going. He created, and it was good. He created, and it was good. He created, and it was good. Genesis chapter 2, start reading, and the earth shakes off its axis. Because then God says, it's not good. That's like, what? What's not good? And wait, 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 wait. Before we start talking about how he's going to create woman and how amazing she must have looked to Adam, like Adam's just named a rhinoceros, right? And then he sees a woman, it's like, whoa, she's hot. It's not exactly, it's like a paraphrase, but you get it. Before we like talk about marriage and like all that kind of stuff, can I ask you a question? I'm going to anyways. Um, <laughs> is Genesis chapter 2 before or after sin? It's before sin. Adam was in relationship with God, right? So couldn't we deduce from that that Adam's got a relationship with God? God's actually speaking it. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Like he's already given this command. This wasn't something that happened after Eve came. They're in relationship with each other. There is no sin. We can deduce from that they're in perfect relationship with each other. Now in Genesis chapter 2, was it Adam's sin that said it's not good for man to be alone? Maybe, he, God, you're not enough for me, and so I'm gonna, I need a woman, and I'm going to have idolatry over this woman. No, it's, who says it in Genesis chapter 2? It's not Adam. God says it's not good for man to be alone. So God created you not just for relationship with him, but for relationship with each other. We were made for relationships. Now, here's the reality. You don't even have to believe the Bible. People just know this. Now, you see this all the time, just in... Just in regular people know that how important relationships are and how detrimental it is to be in isolation. If you didn't know this, last week, uh, Tuesday, September 10th, was Suicide Awareness Day. I remember as the day was kind of winding down, my family was all in bed already at this point. I was in my kitchen. I was reading an article about a pastor who had taken his own life the day before. His name is Jared Wilson. Pray for his family. And you look that article up. Not right now, but look it up later. And uh, he took his own life. He was a pastor who actually spoke about mental illness. It was like what he was known for, depressed. And as I'm reading this article, I've got the news on in the background, and I hear the news broadcaster guy say, what takes more lives from firemen than fires? What kills more police officers than criminals? What takes the life of more soldiers than combat? And he says, suicide had my attention. I stopped reading the article. I started listening to the news broadcast. He shared some stats. Let me share them with you. He said this. He said, 800,000 people per year take their own lives in the United States. 
almost a million people. That number's up 33% since 1999, so in the last 20 years. Listen to this, and I checked this one out, and there's various stats on this, but this is what he said on a, a big, this wasn't like a Jesus news broadcast, by the way, this was a secular news broadcast. He says this, suicide is the leading cause of death for men under 50. He then went on, he gave some disclaimers, he says, I'm not disregarding women, it's risen for women, and especially in 2018, but it's epidemic for men. And he went on and he talked about how it's preventable, and there's different treatments. And like I said, this is one of the Jesus thing. You want to talk about the gospel at all? He said, you know, the drug therapy, talk therapy. But then he said this, and I want to read you this exactly the way he said it. Quote, unquote, there is something that is very effective that's in your power alone, and it could be the most effective tool. And then he said, connection. Studies show that showing you care enough to connect can save a life. Asking people that you know where you live, work, work out, hang out, whatever. It may sound simple, but checking in with someone, asking how they are, hits at something severe. Never, to my knowledge, quoted Genesis on this news channel. He says, loneliness. And he goes on, we know that loneliness is more lethal than obesity or hypertension. It's not good to be alone. I was listening the next day to a podcast that had nothing to do with sermon prep, and didn't have anything to do with suicide. On this podcast, they start talking about this epidemic of loneliness and how Cigna, the healthcare provider, had done a study in partnership with UCLA. UCLA had come up with a scale to, to be able to survey people and find out how lonely they are, and they determined the majority of people are lonely. And what do we do? We get on social media. Actually, their study said that people who are heavy users of social media are the loneliest people. And people who have none are more connected in real relationships. Not bashing social media today, just, we're very lonely as a society. I don't think everybody here is suicidal, but I do know that statistically, some of you are. And it might not be, if, if you are, I'm definitely speaking to you. It's not good to be alone. If you're not, somebody sitting next to you probably is. It's not good to be alone. You're part of the answer. But even non-Christians know this. And this wasn't talking about just general relationships. That's why I didn't change the word in the point to relationships. I kept it a distinct fellowship. Because if you look at the text, go back to verse 42, it says the fellowship. What was distinct about this fellowship? Here's the thing. We weren't just created for relationships. We've been redeemed into unique relationships. Not just with God, also with each other. Think about the plan of redemption. Jesus is fully God, is in heaven comes to earth, puts on skin. He could have done this thing any way he wants. If he wants you to make disciples, he could be like, boom, you go make a disciple. Zap, you've got the knowledge. Wham, you're a disciple maker. But that's not what Jesus does. And think about Jesus. Did he, did he really need, like if there's a person who's not needy, it's Jesus, okay? He pays his taxes out of a fish's mouth, if you haven't read that story. Like if he wants to feed, hey, y'all need to eat today. Hey, kid, bring me your Lunchable. We got this. Okay, walks on water, not a super needy guy, but he chooses to come, and his strategy for reaching the world is to spend three years with 12 men and share light, to leave perfect community in heaven between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Instead of just coming down here and magically or miraculously zapping you with what you need, he demonstrates for you what you should do, and he lives in relationship and shares life. And then what we see in this church, verse 42, go to it, it's not fellowship. Notice it says, the fellowship. There's a definite article there. 
So what is that like? It's football season, right? So the Ohio State University. Well, a couple of you. The U. Nope. All right. No hurricanes here. You don't want to identify. I'm a Christian. I hang out with those guys. Yeah. Listen, there's something about it that's so identifiable that it's different than the fellowship people had at the synagogue. It's different than the fellowship people have around their favorite team. It was different than just having things in common and liking the same stuff. It was different than just being together. They were the fellowship of redeemed people. And here's what it was. It was the Spirit of God working in their lives. To what God had done in Christ, in their lives, it flowed out of. And so what I'm going to share with you are some characteristics of this fellowship. The goal for us as a church is not, let's go, let's go do those characteristics. No. The goal is the Holy Spirit has to work in our lives in such a way that these things would then be the natural outflow of the Spirit of God working in us. We need revival because this isn't happening naturally. It's supernatural what takes place. And what was supernatural about their fellowship? Well, I could quote to you, there's 59 commandments in the New Testament that make a Christian relationship distinct. They're the one another commandments. It's impossible to be an obedient Christian and try and do it on your own. But we don't need to go to every passage in the Scripture. We're looking at the revived church. And so what's happening in this passage of Scripture with these people? We only have time for a couple. I'll share a couple of them with you. One of them, they were devoted to one another. They're people that were devoted to each other. I get that just from the first verse. In verse 42, that word devoted is there. And they devoted, that word devoted means they had a single-minded fidelity towards these four things or these four marks. And one of the things they were committed to was each other. That's supernatural. Here's why. Because we're all committed to something. We make devoted to, how many people here? No, I don't want to make you feel guilty or ashamed. Make New Year's resolutions. You might be like the one person who's still doing it, okay? You committed, you devoted, you committed yourself to something. We say these things, I'm going to, I'm never going to, I'm going to stop, I'm going to start. You make a commitment. Religion lends itself to devotion. Doesn't matter if it's Christianity, Judaism, Muslim, like what Islam, you did different things. It's kind of there's these devotions, prayer times, whatever it is. You do fitness, you want to do fitness, there's devotion. You got a team, there's devotion. You're married, some of you here are married. That means you said some huge words, vows before God about your commitment. But here's what we know. Devotion is not about the things we say, we see it in the way that we behave. What we do shows our devotion. Do you know what? All of our, this is true for 100% of us here today, you want stats. All of our devotion, first and foremost, is naturally to us. It's to ourselves. If you want evidence of that, go back to Genesis chapter 1. There's only two people on the earth. First chance Adam gets, he throws his wife under the bus. Like they had an incredible marriage for a chapter. <laughs> okay, Genesis chapter 2, wow, she's amazing, it's incredible. Then sin comes and then God comes looking for Adam because he's holding Adam, the man, accountable. It's his role in the relationship. He gave the commandment to Adam, and then Adam's supposed to share it with Eve. And then, then when it happens, when God comes and calls him accountable, what does Adam say? This woman in front of the whole world. There's only two of them, but in front of the whole world. This woman, it's her fault, but it's this woman that you gave me. Who's he looking out for there? There's only three people in this conversation, God, her, and there's only one person he's protecting. He even blames God for his sin. If you didn't put me in this situation, if you didn't make this, you didn't make me this way, we look out for ourselves. It's natural. Do you know what's supernatural? And we start looking out for other people. This is an overflow 
of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, doing something different. And it's not just, I'm going to, you know what, I decided I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to be really, you can't do that. Yeah, you cannot cheat on your spouse and not be a Christian. I get, but the kind of devotion we're talking about here, do you know what we're talking about here? It's where you'd actually put that other person, even at the expense of yourself, their interests first. That's what this devotion is. That's this commitment, this single-minded fidelity. And this is a sign of the revi- that the Holy Spirit is working in this community that sets them apart as the fellowship. Not just a group of people who like each other, not just a group of people who have some stuff in common. The distinct fellowship through the devotion to one another. They're living out what gets commanded later in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 that we've all been commanded to. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 is up on the screen here. I know we've got it because they put it up on the first service. Be devoted. That's a command. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. It says what it is to do that. But they were just naturally doing it because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because of this. It wasn't, they weren't obeying Romans 12.10. They didn't have Romans 12.10. This was an evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their lives that they were doing this, having a commitment to one another. And people saw it. They took note because it was a different way to live because none of us naturally live that way. We're not just created for relationships. We're redeemed into these unique relationships, not just with God, also with each other. And if you don't think you need this, and if you don't long for this in your soul, you need revival. This is a sign of the revived church. You want an example of it? Go read in the, in the Old Testament. We don't have time to talk about it today, but you can go read on your own. 1 Samuel 19 through 23. Jonathan's devotion to David when his father Saul is king and his father Saul wants him, Jonathan, to become the next king, but God's got his hand on David's life. And what Jonathan does shows a devotion like most of us have never seen before. He's willing to sacrifice his own best interest, what most of us would perceive to be his best interest, for the sake of someone else. Even, he, doesn't, he tries so hard to honor his father, and there's this tension sometimes in keeping these commandments true, and he's got this commitment. You go read it on your own. It's incredible, the commitment that happens there. Why? He loves him. So you could put all the commandments underneath love for one another. How will the world know that we follow Jesus? Because we love one another, and you can't do that when you're so in love with yourself. The Holy Spirit, when it's the work in our lives, makes us devoted to one another. So let me just ask you this question. Who are you devoted to? If you're sitting next to your spouse, hopefully, obviously, you think your spouse, but we're talking about the church here. So it's more than just your spouse. Who are the people that you're really committed to? And let me ask you this as a more introspective question. Who's committed to you? Who are the people that show up for you? If you go off the rails and sometime in the future here and you're not doing Jesus stuff, like you're going after sin, who's coming after you? Are there people in this, in this church, like this is your church, are they coming after you? Are they pursuing? I, had, I spent some of my day yesterday pursuing a guy who's pers- intentionally pursuing sin, but I don't have a relationship with this guy. He just goes to our church. Who in our church is going to go after him? Who, who in our, who in our, I'm just doing it because I'm, I'm his pastor. Let me tell you something. Pastor Dave says this all the time. Nobody here knows everyone. Okay, that includes me, by the way. I can see all your faces today. We had over 1,000 people here last week. I don't know all those people. No one here knows everyone. Everyone here should know someone. Everyone here should be known by someone. But let me take it a little bit further. We should all be devoted to some of these people. Who's devoted to your spiritual well-being? Who wants you? I ask my kids this question every once in a while. What friends do you have that are helping you love Jesus more? 
The wording of that question is important. I didn't ask you who are your friends that love Jesus. It's a different question. Who of your friends are helping you love Jesus more? Then I always turn it on them. Are you being that kind of friend? Who are you helping love Jesus more? That's what these people were doing. You see it a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 3. Let me read you some verses from Hebrews chapter 3. And it goes along with what we read last week. If you weren't here last week and heard about hunger for God's word, go listen to that message. Because the first three chapters of Hebrews are about hearing God. What happens is that God speaks, and a lot of times we don't hear it. Our hearts are hardened. And so in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, Take care, brothers, just for believers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelief. Wait, you can be a, be a follower of Jesus and have an unbelieving heart? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Don't be like a kid at the amusement park. It's like, I don't, I don't know, life's gotten tough. We all have these doubts. Let's be honest. Like, if you're, if you're a thinking Christian, there's things you wonder about, and you're reading the Bible, and you're like, how's that? And you doubt. And if you lived any amount of time, tragedy comes, the worries of this world, babies die, tragedies come around the world, you're like, how does evil hear like this? And speaking into this here, you fall away from the living God, but then he gives the, here's what you do. You hunger for God's, here's how you stay hungry for God's word, but exhort that word exhort means to urge, to strongly encourage. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, here's why, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Also, that's possible. That's why many of us need revival. But did you notice here it doesn't say your pastor should exhort you every day? Listen to a podcast every day. It says exhort one another every day. Who's exhorting you? Who's going to text message you tomorrow, encourage you with God's word, tell you they're praying for you? Who, who, who's devoted to you? These people that were devoted to one another, their, their devotion to one another is a small glimpse of their Savior, by the way, who was so devoted to you that he, he considered it joy to take the shame of the cross but it leads to sacrifice, which is what it led your Savior to. And people not just devoted to one another, but the people that made them the fellowship, this distinct fellowship, was it people that were willing to sacrifice for one another. Look at it with me in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 through 45. We read a lot in verse 42, but it gets unpacked a little bit in verses 44 through 45. Here's how this fellowship looked. And all who believed were together, we'll talk about that, and they had all things in common. What is that? Well, verse 45 unpacks it. The context shows us. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This was not just generosity. I could have told you a distinctive of them was they were generous with one another. Generosity is you have a need. I've got an abundance. Out of my abundance, I'm going to meet your need. This is sacrifice. Do you see here, it wasn't some kind of like communism either where like everybody had the same amount, let's just put all of our money together and everybody would get the same amount. That's not, as someone had a need, you weren't required to, they voluntarily, they voluntarily went and sold their stuff. This was a work of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't a government program. They voluntarily went, and so that means some people are going, I got this field, it's my inheritance, it's my plan for retirement, but you need groceries. So I'm gonna sell my field. Like if you read about the early church, and what happened in the first couple hundred years, what made them distinct and why they were such, they didn't have any buildings, they didn't have any political influence, they didn't have any money, they didn't have a bunch of like the big players in the world at that time. 
but they turned the world upside down, they were willing to sacrifice. And they sacrificed for each other. Like when they would fast, their fasting and our fasting is different from my experience and what I've seen. Like many of us will fast, like if you're a health person, intermittent fasting, like that's the thing, you've got to intermittent fast, like the fad right now and do that. Jesus person, like I want God to move and so I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray to get him to answer my prayer. Some of, if you needed groceries then, which you read about the early Christians, they gave you their groceries and then they fasted. That was a sacrifice. They're sacrificing for each other. Now I can share with you, by the way, our church is very generous with material things. We've, got, we've had people give groceries before. We've had people give clothes to people who need a clothes. We've had people get connect with jobs and networking. We have people that have home repairs. We've got guys in our church that know how to repair stuff. They've got them repaired things. I'm not one of them, but I know them, so you can tell me. Uh, we've had people, um, we had a couple that was adopting, and somebody else was wanting to adopt, but adoption can be expensive certain ways you do it. And they've been saving up money. They took money out of their adoption fund, gave it to somebody else so they could adopt. Like, we have people that sacrifice financially regularly. Do you know what I think the bigger sacrifice is in our time when I think about the commodities we have? Time. You talk about being devoted to you and who's going to sacrifice for you, who's going to come after you if you go into sin. Who's going to be there for you in the ups and downs in life? We had one couple, they were in the first service. So I mentioned, I'm going to just mention them to you. A guy, he loves Jesus, goes to our church, regularly serves here. His name's Bill Lowry. He's gone through some terrible tragedy recently. About Two months ago, his younger sister died in a bicycle accident. She was uh, in her 50s. And then two weeks ago, his older sister died in a car accident. When he got that call, trying to imagine how devastated you'd be, the tragedy is so close to one another. And so I, I reached out, I was just asking him how I could pray for them and, and Joy, his wife, said that I could share this email with you, but she sent me this email. She said this, I have to tell you, Scott, that when we received the call this past Monday evening, we called and asked our brothers and sister, our brother and sister, Fred and Ruth Schmidt, to come to our home and help us. They're part of our life group family. I love how she refers to their small group as a family, by the way. And before they came, I was literally hysterical. Poor Bill was trying to comfort his mom on the phone and me at the same time. It took a tremendous amount of love, courage, and strength in Christ for them to come and sit with us. Jesus was working through them in one of the most powerful ways we've ever experienced. I've been a Christian for a little while. During the course of their stay, some of the shock and disbelief started to melt, and Jesus' peace, love, and hope that surpasses all understanding deeply touched our spirits. And I was experiencing a strange calm and peace in the midst of a storm. I share this with you because I want you to know that Christ, so now she's encouraging me. <laughs> I want you to know that Christ lives in his, and is alive in your flock that he's given you, take great joy, comfort, and encouragement, Scott. Your love for Christ and love for others and all of your prayers deeply encourage and stirs your flock's heart to go after Christ, to seek him in everything, and to be the love and light in this cold and dark world. Do you see what's happening? That's the Bible happening, by the way. Exhort one another daily. And so how do they do it? Through their sacrifice, Fred and Ruth show up at their house with their presence. They give their time. Who's there for you? That's who's committed to you, by the way. They give their time, they give, it hits your pocketbook, hits your money. So if you don't want this, if you don't want this, then maybe you're just a natural person who naturally looks out for yourself. But when revival comes, it stirs in us a devotion to others, it leads to sacrifice for others. And did you see in the passage where it said they were together? Isn't that a weird observation? Well, of course they were together. What do you mean they were together? 
Why does it say they were together? I'm not just talking about their physical meeting. It's talking about their unity as a body. They were together, had all things in common, it says. Well, what does that mean? They all like the same team? Which team was it? Don't start fighting. No. We know these people didn't have everything in common in the sense they all had the same likes, same opinions. They didn't even speak the same language. Read the context, Acts chapter 2. They were united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I shared with you last week how in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that we would be unified. Just as the Father and the Son are one, he said that we would be one and that through that, that the world would know that God sent his Son, Jesus, to love them. How that happens? Divine mystery to me. But can I tell you something? You don't think that the enemy is going to attack right after we say something like that? I share a story with you about how two churches come together that have different backgrounds and that when God did a supernatural unity, you don't think there's going to be an attack on that? Can I tell you something else? This isn't a prophetic word. You don't have to be like, wow, that guy's really smart. Next year's an election year. You think Satan's going to try and attack the body of Christ? Like, do you watch the news? Like, it's terrible. You watch the media. Just stop watching the news would be part of my advice, okay? I haven't done it yet, but I advise us to do it. And there's people in this room that don't agree with you, whatever your political views are. I want to tell you that right now. And there's truth on both sides. Some people write about some things, some other people write about, there's things that aren't true on both sides, FYI. And we're going to argue about things like healthcare? Show me the Bible verse on that one. Uh-huh, it's not. <laughs> we're going to argue about like economic plans? Like I'm not telling you to compromise on truth. There's things that are true. You don't compromise the truth, but we go to the word. We don't go to a political party. Satan's going to use that to try and divide the body of Christ. Let's be a body that does not allow that to happen, that we have a little foresight to see that, that what the scriptures say. We're supposed to be together, Acts chapter 2. Let me read you a passage from Ephesians, Ephesians 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Do you know the context for Ephesians chapter 4? It's Ephesians chapter 2, that Jesus Christ destroyed the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. That's racial tension, by the way. Jews, Jews thought Gentiles were dogs. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, FYI. You know Jesus was a Jew? We follow a Jewish Savior? Jesus is our peace. He's the one that, divide, that broke down the dividing wall, the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. So if we're one in Christ, we can't be divided over something that you're going to argue about an election, some man or woman that's going to be in office for four years. We're talking about eternal stuff. Don't let Satan get a foothold in this body. The gospel is more important than that. There are things that we'll disagree on. Are you willing to sacrifice your opinion for the sake of unity? Are you willing to sacrifice your money for the sake of unity? Are you willing to sacrifice your time because that's who you're devoted to? Are you devoted to these people? Like we live in a time, let me, I put a note in my Bible by this Acts 2 passage. It was a Bible scholar who wrote this in a book. He said, the time is ripe for Christians to present to the world a community that is radically different from the existing social structures of society. <laughs> um, by the way, that was years ago. It was in a book, first of all. That takes forever to print and nowadays, nowadays. But the book was written years ago. You don't think that's even more true today? We need, the world needs, it needs revival. You want to see how it sees revival? Our relationships with one another, the distinct relationship that followers of Jesus Christ are to have with one another and their relationship with each other. 
A couple weeks ago, my friend, our outreach pastor, Pastor Scott Mason, was preaching, and raise your hand, Pastor Scott, so we'll blame this on you in just a second, was preaching on bearing one another's burdens. And we were coming to the end of the message, and he said, we're going to do something right now. It's going to make everybody feel a little uncomfortable. We're actually going to apply this message. And it's like, whoa, I just want to be a hearer of the word. If you were here, you know what I'm talking about. Because he said we were actually going to share burdens with one another, and he took about 15 minutes of the service for us to do that. Now, I don't care if you're an introvert or extrovert, about 85% of us all were thinking, oh, is there anything on my phone that makes me leave this room right now? Like, where's the exit? Can I share with you a little moment of transparency? Second service, I was sitting there, he started to do it. I had to go to the bathroom so bad. <laughs> and I thought to myself, but you're the lead pastor. If you get up and walk out, everybody's going to follow you out of here. The Holy Spirit took over for a moment of fellowship, <laughs> bladder-controlled <laughs> fellowship in that moment. But we all wanted to leave. Like everybody, nobody wanted, that was a weird moment. Thank you for taking us to that awkward moment. You saw where he sits, you can talk to him afterwards. I know some of you weren't here. Do you know, I've had so many people come up to me and say, I didn't want to do that. I'm so glad we did that. That's like a free sample, by the way, of community. It's like when you're, you're at the food court and they go, oh, you want some, you know, General Sows? And they go, oh, maybe I'll order General Sows. Like, here you go. It's giving you just a sample of what we're supposed to be living like in relationship with one another. But UCLA will tell you, Signal Health will tell you, the news will tell you, we're lonely people. There are people in this room right now that will think about taking their life next week. Who are you going to check on? Who are you devoted to? Do you want this that we see here? I told you we went to Carowinds. The best roller coaster I rode that day was Fury 325. And there's all these stats on it. Um, I got into it. Like, I kicked into kid mode again. So I was like, I'm loving this. This is awesome. I couldn't get my wife and daughter to ride Fury 325 with me. But you know the interesting uh, thing that happened to me? It's the tallest roller coaster that they have. Some people say it's the tallest steel coaster in the United States. It's 325 feet up in the air. I think it lasts three minutes and 25 seconds. It wasn't rough. My back didn't hurt afterwards. I fully endorse that roller coaster to any of you that will try it. But what happened was I got in line to ride this roller coaster, and I figured I'll wait a little bit longer. I'm going to ride in the front car because then you get like the full experience, right? I mean, it gets, you get to this one. When you get to the first hill, you can't even see the track. It's like behind you. It drops you down the thing. It's It's incredible. But while I was waiting in line, older guy on one side, 10, 12-year-old kid on the other side, started talking to him. And I, it was interesting to realize we, we both had the same, like, this guy over here was with his wife, and he couldn't get her to ride it. He had ridden it multiple times. The kid had ridden it like six or seven times. Couldn't get anybody in his group to ride this roller coaster with him. I was like, how ironic is it that we all think this is the greatest thing ever, but we can't get any other people around us to do it with us? How much is that like the Christian life? You're not supposed to do this alone. Christianity is a team sport. If we're going to be the revived church, people see it through relationships.